struck by the fact that tomorrow is Memorial Day, this national holiday set aside for remembering and honoring those who died serving in our military. Do you know that it used to be called way back Decoration Day? Because it was a day where people would go out and decorate their graves with flags and flowers. And some of you have told me over the years of your own Memorial Day rituals where you go out to the graves of your loved ones, whether they served in the armed forces or not, to tidy up a little bit after the winter and perhaps plant some flowers and spend some time on that hallowed ground. Some might think this strange, but I love gathering with a family around a grave. It feels so good to be out under the sky, to be in touch with the earth, in a place that's usually quite beautiful, where if you listen, if you stop talking for a minute and listen, you can hear the wind blowing through the trees. You can usually hear some birds singing. John O'Donohue, the Irish priest and poet, he wrote a blessing about this after one day walking past a graveyard. And I often say it when gathered with folks around a grave. And I'm going to share it with you now, and I invite you, if you wish, to imagine a grave site that is familiar to you as you hear these words from John O'Donohue's blessing. May perpetual light shine upon the faces of all who rest here. May the lives they lived unfold further in spirit. May all their past travail find ease in the kindness of the clay. May the remembering earth mind every memory they brought. May the rain from the heavens fall gently upon them. May the wild flowers and grasses whisper their wishes into light. May we reverence the village of presence in the stillness of this silent field. May we reverence the village of presence. Isn't that so much of what we do as a faith community? To be present, but also to reverence what is, even when it's not always seen or understandable. As you know, on last Tuesday in Uvalde, Texas, once again, a young man with an assault rifle entered a school and he shot and killed 19 children and two teachers. What is wrong with our country? What is so broken or sick in our society that we have this problem with gun violence that no other country in the world seems to have. How do we live with news like this that comes too often? 
How do we live in such a broken world and in a world that is also so beautiful too? Especially at this time of year when there seems to be new life springing up everywhere. How do we hold this beauty and at the same time this brokenness? If you're hoping that I have an easy answer to that question, if you think that there is some hidden secret to fixing things, some way of not being heartbroken by both the tragedy and the beauty of this life, then I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you today. I don't know. I have some ideas, but I don't know. Of course, yes, we do need to do everything we can to work against gun violence. Yes, we do need to elect leaders who are not owned by the gun lobby. Yes, we do need to address the large amount of trauma and abuse in our society that must be somehow part of what leads young men to create such desperate acts. But those are huge projects, aren't they? And they are gonna take a lot of time. And this is going to require us to change our culture that is too comfortable with violence and too comfortable with death, that is too resigned to these atrocities. So please do what you can. Speak up, show up, write letters, give money. But what about your heart? What about your soul? How are you going to live in this world with so much brokenness and at the same time so much beauty? This is a spiritual question. It's not a problem to be solved, but a way of life to be cultivated. We need new ways that will help us to be open-hearted and courageous, ways to live, right? that help us to know how to find peace and solace in the midst of strife and heartbreak. Not so that we can float blissfully above it, but rather so we can be present to it and make our way courageously and gracefully through it. In the hurt and in the messiness of life, to still be able to see its beauty and its possibility. And I'm not saying that we're beginners at this, because we're not. It's just an ongoing project, right? There's some work that I'm afraid will never end. Words from the poet Adrian Rich come to mind, words that are in the back of our hymnal. There are a whole bunch of pithy, little, powerful readings back there if you've never checked them out. This one is number 463. She wrote, my heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot with those who age after age perversely with no extraordinary power reconstitute the world. 
I have to cast my lot with those who age after age, perversely with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. This is what is saving me and helping hold my heart these days. The acts of kindness and care that I see around me. The little ways that people are making a difference. Helping to spread goodness and peace by simple acts of care and devotion. And it's one of the gifts of being your minister because I get to bear witness to some of these acts or sometimes I get to hear about them. And like you, you get to bear witness to some of them too, but like you, none of us get to see them all, right? They're often hidden and quiet. There are folks in our midst who are quietly making phone calls and writing letters and delivering food and offering rides and offering all kinds of gifts to folks in our community and outside it, saying things like, I see you. Are you okay? How can I help? But we don't get to see most of those. They're oftentimes very quiet and they're not most of them are not meant to be seen right so today i want to lift up the humble and beautiful vocation of caring and caretaking being someone who takes care it could be how you move through the world how you move through your day or it could be something very tangible like taking care of a building or some important papers. Like Peter Cameron, whose memorial service is tomorrow, how he quietly cared for our church historical records and documents for decades with diligence and devotion. It's often, you know, people who need our caring. And this isn't always easy. Some people don't like being helped. This seems like something that gets cultivated here in New England, this kind of stoicism, right? Oh no, I'm good. <laughs> and let's face it, some people are not easy to help. It doesn't mean they don't need it, it doesn't mean they're not even grateful for it, but some people are tricky to help. Just to be clear, I'm not thinking of caretaker in a possessive or oppressive way, but rather in a loving and liberating way. One who asks, what can I do to make things better? What is needed? And what do I have to offer? How can I help? One thing bringing me some joy and solace this spring is trying to take care of some plants in our yard, just trying to help them grow and thrive. And I'm finding such joy in that simple work. Get to look out the window and see something's put out a little new growth or it's wonderful. One of you wrote me in an email a couple of days ago 
I hope you have had a chance to enjoy the weather the last couple of days. It's good to get outside with so much sadness going on in the world. Amen to that. It is good and it's necessary, isn't it, to have things that bring you solace and peace and joy. And I hope you know what those are for you and that you're putting yourself in those places enough, those places that bring grace and goodness. The poem that was our reading this morning so beautifully expresses what I want to say to you today and how grateful I am for the ways that you are like what Julia Kasdorf describes that I'm going to read it again. Marshall read it beautifully the first time, but I want you to hear it again. What I learned from my mother. I learned from my mother how to love the living, to have plenty of vases on hand in case you have to rush to the hospital. With peonies cut from the lawn, black ants still stuck to the buds. I learned to save jars large enough to hold fruit salad for a whole grieving household, to cube home canned pears and peaches, to slice through the maroon grape skins and flick out the sexual seeds with a knife point. I learned to attend viewings even if I didn't know the deceased, to press the moist hands of the living, to look in their eyes and offer sympathy as though I understood loss even then. I learned that whatever we say means nothing. What anyone will remember is that we came. I learned to believe I had the power to ease awful pains materially like an angel. Like a doctor, I learned to create from another suffering my own usefulness and once you know how to do this, you can never refuse. To every house you enter, you must offer healing. A chocolate cake you bake yourself, the blessing of your voice, your chaste touch. At St. Paul's, Paul's Cathedral in London, whose dome is a landmark on that city's skyline, whose dome miraculously survived German bombs during the Blitz. There is a stone plaque in that cathedral quoting its architect, Sir Christopher Wren. It's in Latin and it reads, Si momentum requiris circumspice. If you would seek my monument, look around you. We put stone monuments in cemeteries to honor and remember our beloved dead. And it is good and right to do so. But aren't the real monuments to how we have lived the acts of care and devotion that we have offered? the lives that we have lived and the lives that we have touched.
in the moment they're happening, these acts may seem so intangible and so fleeting. But if you asked the people who received them, who benefited from them, wouldn't you hear that your offerings of love and care are remembered and cherished as solid as any stone. What anyone will remember is that we came. What if we imagine our days and our lives as opportunities to be making these memorials to love and devotion? What if we could see that our showing up, our caring, are acts of creation, creating peace and goodness, one small act at a time? Isn't this one way that we can be about changing our culture? We can't often control the big picture and the big problems in our world can seem so daunting. But we can make a difference, a real difference in the lives of those around us, in our families and workplaces and communities. There's a hymn we sing sometimes around here. We're gonna sing it in a minute. And I found myself thinking about the tune name if you ever look in the hymnal and you want to know, each hymn tune has a name and it's over on the right at the top and it's printed usually in all caps. And sometimes it has something to do with the composer. Who knows how they get picked? They get picked probably by the composer, but the name of this tune is Creation of Peace. And when I noticed that, it stayed with me. And I love that expression, Creation of Peace. It implies and it invites us to remember that peace is something that can be created. And of course, it can also be destroyed. We have the power to heal and to harm, to bless and to curse. How about we set ourselves at creating peace, at making memorials to goodness, at taking care, as we are able. And of course, taking care of ourselves as well. Isn't this how we will build a land with more justice and more peace? Isn't this how we start to heal ourselves and our world? It is a big project. It won't be finished in our lifetimes, but we can each do our part. And together, who knows what we might accomplish, how we might help renew some parts of this good earth. So let us take heart, friends. Yes, there is so much that is broken, and there is so much good that we can do. There are so many ways that we can help. Let us embrace these humble and simple acts of caretaking that call to us. Let us find solace and even delight in being of use, in healing, 
and in blessing while we can, while we are here. Amen.